Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Garrett Post. And I'm Justin Ruderman. And today we have a really exciting episode, Justin. Obviously, some action in the U.S. across both the Open Cup and MLS. But, you know, transfer season, silly season, as we like to call it, is in full swing. And we have the return of listener questions at the end of the episode, Justin. But before we get into all that fun stuff, let's start with uh, something else that was quite fun. The U.S. Open Cup, and quite specifically from our perspective, Carson Galaxy losing to Sacramento Republic man won't even use their real name on the podcast uh it was yeah I mean this that is their the real game. name what do you mean? <laughs> so uh this was a, a, a big one loss obviously I mean they're starting you know uh, they, they rested a lot of people but you know you're starting Cabral, Jovalich, Grancier, Raheem Edwards, Alvarez. I mean, these it's a half and half team. So there's just no excuse. Sacramento has done incredibly well. Um, they got, you know, the first goal in the fourth minute, and then you Galaxy got the own goal to tie it in 18th. And you thought, okay, well, that was enough fun there. But no, Sacramento stuck around. They played uh, their defensive style. It went well. They only had 36% possession, but that wasn't the problem. Uh, they hit on the counterattack. In the 70th minute, uh, Luis Felipe Fernandez from way out, 25, 30 yards out, bangs one in on the ground. Should Klinsman save it? Yes, he probably should. But it's still in the bottom corner, perfectly placed uh, and, and hit with power. Sacramento then hold on uh, for the next you know 20 minutes and take Galaxy out. My question, though, to you, Garrett, is because you know, this was the quarterfinal. Well, in the round of 16, uh, Galaxy beat LAFC and Sacramento beat San Jose. Those are the four teams in California, right? Does that mean Sacramento is, is the king of California? Are they the California champs? I mean, theoretically, but if you put Sacramento Republic against LAFC, I don't think Sacramento Republic are winning. And, and I think the only reason they didn't play them in this game, the reason you guys didn't match up is because you guys are cursed against the galaxy. You just are. <laughs> you will never win at Dignity Health Sports Park. You'll rock up with Gareth Bale and Chiellini and Vela and whatever your third DP is going to be, and you'll still probably lose to a Chicharito tap-in. So, I mean, in theory, yeah, I'll give them that. Talk Congrats about a preview. Republic. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm predicting it now. Anyway. Uh, Sacramento Republic. Talk about a preview right, that, of later. That, yeah, like, yeah, that, yeah, that game's coming up soon. That game is coming up soon. But yeah, I'll, I'll give it to Sacramento Republic. They deserve it. Knocked off both sides of the Cali Classico, which should have been this past weekend. And I should have been there. But there was a fire in the area, which knocked out all the power at Stanford Stadium. So uh, unfortunately, I was unable to attend because there was nothing to attend. But yeah, Sac Republic, Cali champs. Sure, whatever they want. And that wasn't even the biggest U.S. Open Cup quarterfinal because there was the New York Derby or whatever you want to call it between New York Red Bull and New York City FC. Uh, and it was a battering. New York Red Bull came in and just smashed New York City FC uh, 3-0. Lewis Morgan, Lequinas, uh, and Moso getting on the score sheet. Uh, it helped, obviously, that Tiago Andrade was sent off in the 67th second minute. But... Uh, 
still was up one nil. I mean, it just confirmed their, their win and they did it similarly to Sacramento. Right. And similarly really to how they've played all season on the counter attack, only 34% possession, but they created just as many shots and had more of them on target uh, creating just, just better chances at home against New York city FC. Uh, And then of course, there were uh, the double red cards in stoppage time very late on for Maxi Morales and Tom Edwards, uh, meaning, you know, Tom Edwards will be suspended for the next U.S. Open Cup game for their semifinal. So that's tough for them. But uh, otherwise, I mean, a, a really quality performance for New York Red Bulls and, and what they've been doing on the road all season, they did at home in the cup this time. Yeah, definitely not the results and and certainly not the scoreline I would have predicted from this game. Um, and New York City getting into some uh, feisty affairs, that is some foreshadowing for their game against mm-hmm. Philadelphia, right? We had a few scuffles in that one as well. But yeah, impressive performance from Red Bulls, able to get it done against a, you know, pretty solid NYCFC lineup. Like they, they really didn't drop many players other than, you know, maybe your Sean Johnson, obviously Morales came off the bench and then got sent off. I guess Talos Magno is obviously a big loss, but he also came on and, and, you know, was unable to impact the way that this game was going. So yeah, credit to the Red Bulls uh, and, and they go through to face the winner of the last quarterfinal remaining, which is on Wednesday, Orlando city versus Nashville. So the other MLS v MLS matchup and then just in Sacramento Republic will be facing sports sporting Kansas City who walloped Union Omaha six goals to nil I mean we were loving the Union Omaha Cinderella story and considering how poor sporting Kansas City have been this season we were hoping that maybe they could pull off another um, another miracle but uh no siree this was a destruction it absolutely was Garrett uh, you know, Union Omaha, as you said, we loved uh, their cup set run and all of that. And, you know, being a third division side, even in the quarterfinals is incredible. Uh, their fans traveled in numbers to Children's Mercy Park and packed it out, making noise for the entire 90 minutes, even though they were getting, you know, destroyed from the 10th minute on. Uh, so it was I just love the atmosphere of the cup, even though Sporting Kansas City uh, rightfully, you know, dominated the game because they have a much better team. Uh, it's it's still fun and I for that reason I hope you know Sacramento goes on uh, to, to the final I mean they have a good shot at it right hosting Sporting Kansas City so who haven't been great this season and also Sacramento come back home after you know beating Galaxy away uh, they would not host the final of course unfortunately because uh, the order for the final you know has been determined it will be uh Either Orlando City or Nashville would get that first slot if they can make it. Then Sporting Kansas City, secondarily, New York Red Bulls, and Sac Republic came forth, so will not be hosting no matter what. Um, but in that order uh, are the hosts, so depending on who they play. But it will be a fun one on this all the way out for the rest of this cup. And then, Justin, one other major tournament going on at the moment is, of course, the CONCACAF U-20s tournament, the U.S. U-20s play tomorrow in the quarterfinals against Costa Rica um, after demolishing Nicaragua 5-0 in the round of 16. Uh, If you want to talk about that one a little bit, I know uh, you had a few things to say. Yeah, I just, there were a few players that stand out. I mean, the biggest part of these uh, this tournament, at least, is number one, obviously, qualifying for the Olympics. Uh, Winning this uh, quarterfinal against Costa Rica would put us 
uh, into the World Cup. So it, it put us into the U20 World Cup. And then if we win the semifinal, that puts us into the Olympics. Uh, so qualifying for those two are very big. And then the other thing is just looking at, you know, our youth and that this is the future of our country, right? Uh, I think obviously Quinn Sullivan has stood out scoring five goals in the past two games. We think of Paxton Aronson as the main product coming out of the Philadelphia Union Academy right now, obviously his brother, Brendan, uh, moving to the Premier League this season, but Quinn Sullivan has been fantastic uh, in this game. I thought Caden Clark was really, really standout coming off the bench. His passing, his vision was uh, really, really top class. You understand why he's already playing in MLS on a regular basis. Um, and Paxton, uh, Paxton as well, you know, ha- did play well. And then the other uh, player was is Diego Luna, uh, the midfielder who got a recent move to RSL. Uh, and I think, you know, in an RSL team that are overperforming to me so far this season, you put him in there. It's only, it can only improve them because he's a really, really quality young player. Um, and uh, yeah, there's just a lot of, a lot of talent here, but a few names that I had to mention there. Uh, and then, yeah, hopefully tomorrow we can get the win and qualify for that U 20 world cup. And then whoever that, that semifinal would be, hopefully we qualify for the Olympics uh, as opposed to somebody like Canada who got knocked out by uh, Guatemala on penalties in, in the round of 16. And then Garrett, we can move back to club football in this country uh, where normally in MLS, we'll discuss the goal of the week each time and give our opinions. We won't do that this week because they were all so terrible. Nobody deserves to win this week. Uh, even though, you know, we always call this the league of bangers. The other news that came out before the games uh, this weekend was Minnesota United extending Adrian Heath's contract through 2024, uh, I know that you have a connection with Heath, so I'd love to give your get your thoughts on this one. But to me, I don't understand how you're going to give him uh, an extension when he's currently sitting in 12th in the West. It makes no sense that they're playing very poorly and he's getting a contract extension. Yeah, it doesn't quite make sense to me either, Justin. I think Minnesota is a team that we both had a bit higher expectations for. You know, I, I fully believe they should be in and around the edge of the playoff spots looking to, to find a way in. Um, and they're just nowhere near that at the moment. So, yeah, I agree as much as my Everton bias makes me love Adrian Heath. Uh, you know, th- this is a team that is underperforming. And so the timing of this is extremely weird, even if they do believe in Adrian Heath. Uh, in the long term, which is all well and good, right? You know, can't say the first 16 games of the season defines his entire tenure or future at Minnesota, but, you know, giving him a, an extension right now is definitely weird timing and doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I guess, I mean, the only thing I can really think uh, is they, they don't think they can get anybody better. I don't know. But uh, the first game of the week was the upset of the week, wasn't it? I mean, Cincinnati getting the win uh, at home against Orlando city, who obviously, you know, Orlando city have been having a much better season than Cincinnati, but Cincinnati able to sneak into the playoff spots into seventh place uh, with this one nil win at home, courtesy of a Brenner goal in the 65th minute uh, or should we start taking Cincinnati seriously? I mean, this they're in playoff spot for the first time, basically in their history. Yeah, I mean, I know you love hating on Cincinnati as kind of what's the opposite of gold standard, you know, but the fact of the matter is you say, oh, you know, Orlando has been having a much better season than them, but Cincinnati have a game in hand on Orlando. And if they win it, they will go above the Lions, actually, which is a bit insane. So, yeah, I think we should start taking Cincinnati seriously. I don't think they'll they'll end up climbing much higher than like the seventh or sixth spot. 
Um, you know, but but they could end up in, in a playoff spot. I don't see why not. Atlanta, you know, have a lot of injuries, and, and we'll discuss that in a little bit as well. Um, and, and, you know, Charlotte, we know that that's an absolute mess going on. So, like, you look at the teams <laughs> around them, New England are prone to collapse, although they obviously have been a lot better recently. Inter-Miami, I don't see them getting a playoff spot. So, you know, the one thing I'd say that that maybe could stop Cincinnati or the team that could catch Cincinnati is Columbus, right? Because they have been underperforming a lot. And with the Cucho signing, if he can have the instant impact that we're both expecting, maybe that could have them up and, and leapfrogging their Ohio compatriots. But yeah, I think Toronto Cincinnati also have... bringing it in senior could, could change true, a lot of things. True, true. But yeah, I, I think Cincinnati are definitely not a joke anymore. And, and I, don't, I really don't think we should be treating them like one. I mean, I can't argue against it. You're right. I've always, I mean, look, I, I like the new team settling in uh, and finally being able to compete. That's, you know, what we want from expansion teams. We don't want to just be, you know, all, all of them be easy wins and things of that nature. But I, I haven't seen a lot from Cincinnati. Uh, and this season, you're right. They're, they're performing a lot better and I hope they can, they can keep it up. Um, but then Garrett, we can move to our game of the week with that one. Because our game of the week, we picked a good one. Uh, it was between Philadelphia and New York City. In um, It's the battle for the top of the East. Because New York City came in just a point ahead of Philadelphia. And uh, Garrett, walk us through this one. I mean, it was a it was a crazy match, and we started within the first ten minutes. In the ninth minute, in fact, when Mikhail Ure opened the scoring for Philadelphia, it was a nice ball in and kind of a weird finish. It almost looked like an own goal to me, but ball just basically trickled over the line with Sean Johnson and pretty much diving out of the way a little bit. Um, so a strange goal there, uh, and, and then honestly, not that much happened until the seventy eighth minute when. The union physio got a red card after coming on to, you know, attend to a player um, and ended up getting in a bit of a scuffle with the NYCFC player who had who had fouled him. Um, And then he got a red card and it all kicked off. And, you know, I said NYCFC have been in some scuffles and this was just crazy. And, And little do we know that this was just the beginning of the madness because then in the 89th minute, New York city were awarded a penalty for a handball across that came in sliding defender with his arm up above his head ball hits it penalty given after a VAR review. And then it looks like, okay, New York have, you know, managed to steal a point and we'll stay atop the East after uh, Tati Castellanos, of course, converted it. He he was never going to miss. Right. But then in stoppage time, Corey Burke with a, goal to to win it for Philadelphia, even though it actually just came off of him. It was Martinez that took the shot. It hit Burke at first. They thought he was offside and then they overturned it and the goal stood. And so now, okay, Philadelphia is going to win, but they added on extra stoppage time. There's another potential handball for New York city in the box, which also got reviewed, but they decided not to give the penalty. And that was full time in a crazy dramatic game atop the Eastern conference, meaning the union have now gained top spot going two points clear of New York city. Incredible explanation, Gary. I, I don't have much to add to that. I mean, as you say, Castellanos buried it as he should. He didn't have a great game, but he did bury uh, that one. And as you say, Burke, I mean, had no idea about it was trying to get out of the way but gets credit for the winner um 
it was just, I mean, insane. You covered it all. A medical trainer gets a red card, then VAR gives a penalty uh, to equalize. Philly gets a goal ruled offside. VAR, VAR then gives it. Uh, and then the ref, as he's blowing the final whistle, another VAR pen- look. It, it's just absolute chaos. Uh, incredible game of the week that we uh, picked with this one. But Philadelphia going uh, clear at the top of the East. So uh, they were my supporter shield prediction prediction uh, in preseason. But I don't know if they're necessarily going to do that because of how, how well LFC is performing uh, in the West. But they look like they're still competing in the East for sure. And with that, Justin, that can actually be our transition into LAFC, who, of course, picked up a 2-0 win against New York Red Bulls at home this week. And you were at the game, of course, covering it with Area Sports Network. Um, but, you know, Justin, I actually turned this game on at the perfect time. I was having brunch with my family, turn the game on and see two goals in the first five minutes that I watched, essentially. Uh, let, talk us through it. You must have just turned it on right as Chicho got subbed on then, man. That's exactly that's literally that was the first thing I saw was Chicho gets subbed on. <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the first half, I mean, wasn't too exciting. It was exactly as you would expect with LAFC controlling about 60% of the possession. New York Red Bull trying to hit on the counter attack as they continue to do, as we've said. Uh, but neither team created a ton of chances in that first half. Red Bulls had more chances, but my, the best chance probably came to Franco Escobar uh, with a pass from Carlos Vela. He shot it right at Carlos Coronel, uh, who stuck up his left hand, made a really, really good save. Uh, I mean, Franco Escobar easily could have scored and opened the scoring there, but he didn't. Very good save. That was about that all you saw in the first half. LFC are just trying to go over the top uh, down the wings and have players run onto it there. Uh, not much quality, but then in the second half, uh, things changed. LFC decided to concede possession, and uh, this worked out well. New York are not a team that likes to possess, and they like to hit on the counter, but LFC then said, okay, we're going to hit on the counter instead, and that's exactly what they did twice for their goals. Uh, even before Chicho came on, Mahalo Poku was getting in fantastic positions early in the second half. But then, as you say, right when you turned on the TV, Chicho came on uh, and scored three minutes after he came on with a beautiful uh, transition uh, counterattack from LAFC. LA Sanchez won it in his own half. Immediately, Sifu plays it one time. Uh, Jose Cifuentes, midfielder, plays it one time to Carlos Vela, who uh, then turns. What a ball. And- what a ball from him. What an incredible ball from Carlos Vela. Absolutely. Uh, Dylan Nealis uh, filling in at center back, tried to hold the offside trap. Chicho barely just stayed on side and Carlos played it through the center defenders, put Chicho in one-on-one and uh, a simple finish for him. Of course, uh, the second goal was similar uh, counterattack, right? Brian Rodriguez on the right side beats Caceres down the right. And uh, he has no, all the green grass in front of him. He cuts back and, and finds Diego Palacios, who then fakes a shot and buries it into the bottom right corner. And that is his first goal for LAFC in a few years at the club. So uh, it's, you know, exactly what LAFC needed, a signature win against a big team uh, and obviously a massive weekend for the club. Yeah. I mean, it's a great time to be an LAFC fan, isn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm very jealous um, because of not only the fact that you're, top of the West, top of the supporter shield standings, but also some of the other things that have been going on recently, Justin, I think that can be our segue 
I'm just going to let you go. Gareth Bale. Gareth Frank Bale, MBE, five times <laughs> Champions League winner. At one time, the most expensive footballer in the world is now an LAFC player. I mean, really let that sink in because there is no way that this guy should be at LAFC, much less be at LAFC on a TAM contract. This guy is not a DP. He will be a TAM for the next 12 months at LAFC. I just can't give enough praise for this uh, move from LAFC. Look, Gareth Bale reached out to LAFC. He wanted to come here. He saw Chiellini. He saw uh, around June 5th, he contacted LAFC and said, hey, if I make the World Cup, you're where I want to prepare for it. You're, I want to come to LA and I want to prepare in your team, in your squad. And that's exactly what happened. Wales made the World Cup. He carried them there. And he said, all right, time to go to LA. He is a perfect ex- addition to uh, an already high-flying team. Obviously, you, as you say, uh, top of the West, first to 10 wins in MLS, all of these things. But you add in uh, Giorgio Chiellini in the back for defensive stability. And then you add in Gareth Bale, who no defender in MLS can even keep up with at all. Uh, it's just a frightening prospect for every other team in the league. And for LAFC fans, there is just extreme excitement uh the first game he will be available for and Chiellini as well would be uh the El Trafico against Galaxy I believe it is July 8th uh Friday night at home at the Bank of California Stadium it will be a packed house uh those resale tickets are already through the roof yeah and if you recall Justin when we discussed you know where he and Chiellini might go actually I'm pretty sure we did that that segment together we talked about both of them and little did we know they would both end up going to LAFC which is insane but when we talked about that I said you know if if a team in MLS managed to get their hands on Gareth Bale now it would be the best signing in the history of MLS and honestly I'm sticking by that especially considering the finances of this assuming he stays past this first year and obviously he'll become a dp if they end up taking the six-month option for the end of next year um but you know i I could see him staying after that to be honest um after the world cup does he have that much to play for he's won everything there is to one other than the world cup obviously but you know he plays for wales um and, and he's made an insane amount of money it's not like he he needs more career earnings before he retires but you know if he gets a full season next year man I, I said it. I, I could see him breaking Bella's record. I really could because that, he is that talented of a player. This is a generational player playing in the MLS. Like, like you know, when, when you're talking about levels of talent in this league, you're not going to get much higher, really. Right. It, it's him, Beckham and David Villa at the top. And I, you could argue that Bale was better than both of them at the peak of his career. You really could. I mean, this is the player who scored the greatest goal in the history of the Champions League final, right? Has showed up in big games his entire career, even recently for Wales in that World Cup qualifying semifinal, scores two absolute bangers. I mean, this is an incredible signing for LAFC. Um, and yeah, you guys are at home in that game, luckily. So I think you will beat Carson. In fact, you should beat the lights out of them after the way they performed against Sacramento. But man, I'm telling you, if you go back to T- to DHSP next season with your full team, you'll still lose. It's a curse. Believe what you want. All I know is that Gareth Bale, you can debate whether, oh, is Beckham better signing or Gareth Bale. If you're looking at it from a financial perspective, there's absolutely no debate. Uh, it is Gareth Bale because yeah. he's not a DE. If you're looking at it from a pure who's the biggest name, 
maybe I'd say Beckham. Uh, and I think Gareth Bale is second. I think he's ahead of uh, David Villa. I think he's ahead of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I think what he brings, uh, the worldwide attention he brings to this team is absolutely unbelievable. The most expensive player in the world right now, Kylian Mbappe, was at the Bank of California Stadium at the game against New York Red Bulls, taking in the game on vacation. That's what he decided to do with his time. Uh, it's just the worldwide attention. The the media. The Bale room, and Chiellini weren't even playing. They weren't even playing. They weren't even playing, of course. The two uh, biggest name players. The media attention is absolutely insane i mean there was has never been a more full media room i've ever seen at lafc there were over 50 media members present uh including from all over the world sky sports uh and into korea everywhere around the world there were reporters uh tuning in and it's just building the profile of, of this club and the next thing to do is win that mls cup and this is how you do it and the other piece to that is there's still another dp coming in there's still a DP slot open and John Thornton, the general manager and co and co-president of LAFC uh, has hinted at it. Uh, he doesn't want to, you know, be out outright with it, but another DP is coming in. LAFC is going all in for the cup this year. It is MLS cup or bust for this team. And they're going to fill that third DP spot to make sure that that happens. Now, probably that means a couple players leaving as well, but it's worth it. The improvement in this team is just unbelievable. And the sky is the absolute limit. Yeah. And just one final note on this, Justin, I tweeted it out and I'll beat it like a dead horse over the next few months. But if LAFC do not win MLS cup, they are the most fraudulent club in the history of ever. And I'll say that right now. And I will say it because I expect you to win it. It is MLS cup or bust. It's, it's MLS cup or worse than bust. Cause there is no excuse at this point. I guess you could say first year head coach, but come on, look at this roster. You guys better win it. Yeah, Gary, you're absolutely right. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I think the only protest or, or idea you against that you might hear devil's advocate from LAFC fan would be, well, how much is Giorgio Chiellini really going to play? How much is Gareth Bale really going to play? With Chiellini, I understand the question. He's 37 years old at this point. He's not going to be able to play uh, 90 minutes week in, week out, much less two games a week uh, as LAFC are going to have a lot this summer. But Gareth Bale is 32 years old. He is preparing for the biggest World Cup of his life, the only World Cup he's ever been in, uh, but but the biggest games of his life. I mean, he, he I'm sure he considers this as big as a Champions League final, if not bigger. It is everything to him. He is going to put in his entire effort uh, to think that you're not going to have 100% Bale for the next six months at LAFC. I don't understand why anybody would think you're going to get anything less because he is in full preparation mode, and that doesn't mean resting at all. That means staying in full match fitness while getting rotation that he can get at LAFC. It's one of the reasons he uh, chose LAFC and, and loved it. And the system is just going to suit him. Well, I think there's just absolutely no negatives with Chiellini. I understand some questions about his age and things like that with Gareth Bale. This is just absolutely incredible. And once again, putting a DP uh, next to him, whether that be a DP nine uh, or in my opinion, what it should be is a DP 10 to feed uh, this incredible front three that you don't even know who your be best front three is at this point. Yeah, I mean, even without Keelini, Bill by himself should is, is still, in my opinion, 
a win condition for LAFC. Like there are still no excuses. Even if Keelini doesn't play a single game, I'd still say you guys have to win. Um, and, and the one other thing I'll say is, you know, a lot of people are asking, well, you know, why is he coming to MLS? He could still do damage in, in the top five leagues in Europe, which, which I fully believe, but you know, at the same time, as you say, the preparation and being able to be rotated, right. Although he will be one of LAFC's more important players. It's not like he's going to be, at a team, you know, mid table in the Premier League, who are going to need him every single game, right? LAFC will be fine resting him every now and then. And also, he wants to win, right? He wants to be in good form. He doesn't want to be getting smacked up by City and Liverpool before going into the World Cup. He wants to be at the highest confidence possible. Yep, absolutely right, Garrett. I think that uh, he could have gone to, you know, he had offers from Cardiff City, Hetafe, etc. Uh, around Europe, he had at least five solid offers. If he wanted to go to a mid-table club uh, in La Liga or, or something like that, he could have, but they would have been way over-reliant on him and pushed his body too far. He will be LAFC's best player, obviously. He will be the focus up front, and, and no longer is Carlos Vela the best player on the team, but uh, that LAFC have the depth and the ability to rest him without problem, as you say, and that's the key. And then, Garrett, we can move to transfers in Europe, starting with uh, Angel Di Maria is going to Juventus on a free transfer. Uh, I mean, he, obviously, you know, age is still a talk, topic with this one too, but Juventus trying to, uh, you know, revive themselves finishing fourth this season in Serie A. Uh, that is not satisfactory for that club. They f- accept first or nothing there. So do you think Di Maria is going to help them get back there? Yeah, I do. I do. I don't know. You know, obviously they're going to need a lot more than just Di Maria, but overall, I think this is a really good signing for Juventus. I think Di Maria is, you know, actually probably one of the more underrated players of his generation. I think he's been brilliant for a really long time. Even at United, he was good for that one season, right? He, he was probably their best player, despite the fact that, you know, United were just not very good that year. But no, I thought he was really good for PSG. Obviously, we know what, he, what he's been doing for Argentina recently has been unbelievable, scoring the winner in in Copa America final, of course. And then even recently in that finalissima, he ran Italy absolutely ragged. He was brilliant. So yeah, I really like this signing from Juve. Um, you know, obviously it's going to be tough for them to replace players like Dybala and, and whatnot, but I think Di Maria Vlaovic link up could be pretty filthy. Yeah. I, I think it just depends on, you know, how well he can do. He hasn't scored a ton of goals in the past you know, a few seasons in Ligue 1 where, you know, you would think he's he's, he's getting more assists than he has goals uh, in Ligue 1. But maybe a strike partnership with Vlahovic would allow that. He can drop a little bit deeper and Vlahovic pushes. He, you know, plays a second striker role maybe. Uh, I think it could work out, but it could also go the other way for sure, in my opinion. Yeah, he, he also only started 19 games in the league. And, and honestly, you know, assuming he can stay fit, he is – 33 going on 34 now. Um, but I, I think Juve will probably rely on him more than PSG needed to, right? He was playing right wing. They, Definitely. you know, maybe have some guy at right wing who's like the best player of all time or something, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Um, overall, on a free, um, class is permanent and Angel Di Maria is class. And then, Garrett, before moving to the Premier League, uh, there was another big one. It is Sebastian Aller to Dortmund from uh, Ajax for 35 million euros. Uh, a slightly large fee, but, you know, Dort- uh, Haller was incredible 
for Ajax, especially in that Champions League where he, you know, carried them mostly scoring an incredible amount of goals. Uh, but it's not really the type of player Dortmund generally go for. They go for the younger players, but especially when they're spending this type, type of money. But they also like a little bit of uh, experience, a little bit of uh, leadership. And I think that Haller can bring that. I like the signing. Uh, what do you think about it? Yeah, I agree. It, it's a lot of money. It's a big fee. But, you know, Juve, Juve, but Dortmund actually do have a bit of a history with turning kind of flops, if you will, strikers into incredible goal scorers. You know, Aller, you know, a bit harsh calling him a flop. Definitely not at Ajax, but at West Ham, there's a reason that they kind of flipped him so quickly. Just didn't live up to expectations. But if you think about strikers that they've had in the past, even on loan for like a year, right? And they turned Michi Bachuai into an absolute animal. So if they can do that with, with Bachuai, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to do it with Aller. He's got the skill set, um, you know, obviously... <laughs> Holland replacement, eh, not exactly, but I think he'll do well enough, probably well enough for Dortmund to finish second for the 18 millionth time in a row. And then, Justin, we can move over to the Premier League where we actually have a couple of goalkeeper signings. Firstly, we can start with Nick Pope going from relegated Burnley to Newcastle for £10 million. This is a fantastic signing for Newcastle, in my opinion. You know, Dubravka is not a bad goalie. Carl Darlow even on his day was pretty good last year when he was forced to play. But Nick Pope is a significant upgrade. They're getting him from real for real cheap uh, from a relegated club. And, and obviously Nick Pope is a player who is way too good to be in the championship. So I think this is a good deal for all parties bar Burnley, because honestly, you know, they could have sold Nick Pope probably at the beginning of last season for three, four times this. So really good deal for Newcastle. Good deal for Nick Pope as well. Gets to be the number one at a very ambitious club. Obviously, we know the project they have going on there. Anything else to add? Yeah, I think, as you say, it's a fantastic signing. Newcastle are going for these, if you want to call them stepping stone you know, signings, uh, where it's in the middle of, they, they bring credibility. They have a lot of Premier League experience. They're good players uh, and can bring credibility to the club, bring them into a higher uh, level in the Premier League where they can start attracting the real top players that, of course, they can afford now, but they yeah. don't, can't necessarily attract them yet. So they need these stepping stone players to... Uh, you know, solidify their presence in, in the top of the Premier League. And Nick Pope is the perfect goalkeeper for that. Not only is he extremely good, he had a, a tons of experience in the Premier League, but I mean, this guy, if you, if you want to keep him around for a while, you can keep him for a while because he is, I mean, even if you start getting these big signings, you can keep him around. He could be a, a goalkeeper at a top club. So it, while it is a stepping stone signing, it's almost one that could be kept around longer than others. Yeah, and he's only 30, which for a goalkeeper is really not that old. Um, he is a really good shot stopper. That's definitely his number one attribute. I wouldn't say he's fantastic with his feet. Um, so how that fits into Eddie Howe's system, I'm, I'm not quite sure, right? Because they definitely want to start building out from the back a, a little bit more. But I think he'll slot in perfectly fine. And, and he's going to help them concede a lot less goals than they did last year because, you know, that's what he does. He keeps the ball out of the net and he's very good at that. So, yeah, good signing overall. And then the other goalie that I mentioned or that I didn't mention, but I mentioned it was two goalies is uh, Alfonso Ariola going back to West Ham this time permanently, obviously was there last season and, and deputized quite a bit. Um, him, and Fabi him and Fabianski really splitting game time, but West Ham have taken the initiative to make this signing permanent. I'm, I'm honestly not, 
quite sure on this one. You know, Nick Pope, we were both in, in a consensus there. Good signing. But are you all to West Ham? Like, it's just not that much money. But was he really much better than fabianski has been over the last couple of years? I'm not sure. That's the question. I mean, it's not that much, as you say, 12 million euros. But did they really need a goalkeeper? Is that exactly the position that they should have been going after? No, probably not. I think it's a slight upgrade on Fabianski. I think he's the starter and, uh, you know, we'll get more minutes than Fabianski, but I don't know if it's really the, where they should be spending their money. Yeah. But, you know, looking at it now, and I didn't realize this Fabianski is 37. So I guess that, you know, that context makes this make more sense. Um, so I guess it's a reasonable option. I, you know, it's just not a signing that's going to really excite many people or light the world on fire, if you will. But he did well enough, I suppose. And he was all right at Fulham when he was on loan there um, the year before last. So, yeah, a bit of a nothing signing, but I guess it, it was needed considering Fabianski's age, which I really did not realize until right now. But then going back to Newcastle, Justin, huge signing, Sven Botman. Absolutely. Uh, defender Sven Votman for 37 million euros. Uh, I mean, this is how you solidify your center back position. It's exactly what they need. Uh, I think that, you know, he's obviously been very good over the past few years at Lille, uh, you know, winning the title with them in the shock the, a, a year ago. But how will he adapt to the Premier League? I can't really predict that. It's always tough with these type of players coming from Ligue 1 or Serie A. But he's, he's been very good, and I think that he can be what Newcastle need. He's a stepping stone player. I don't think he's you know ready to be at a top, top club necessarily, but he's that stepping stone player. Uh, and Newcastle don't mind spending 37 million euros doing so because they have the money to spend. Yeah, I mean, I think he could be a player at a top club, though. I, I really do. I mean, it, it takes quite some doing to beat PSG to the league on title. And he was a huge part of that. And Newcastle have had their eye on him for a while. You know, they were also obviously looking at Diego Carlos, but lost out on him to Villa. So, you know, they definitely needed some reinforcements at the back. I think Dan Burns been a really underrated signing for them. Actually, I thought he was really, really good under Eddie Howe when he moved in January. Um, so yeah, some, some good reinforcements at the back. I mean, they're, they're going to be keeping out a lot more goals than they did last year for sure with Pope and Botman, both additions. And, you know, obviously I doubt they are done yet this season, you know, still looks like they probably need a striker because Callum Wilson just can't stay fit. Um, I've seen like Memphis to pie thrown around, which would be a really interesting one. So we'll see Newcastle are definitely not done in the market just yet. Absolutely not. And then we can move to talking a little bit about my club, Manchester City, who did a couple big bits of business in and out. And the first one was in Garrett, uh, 42 million pounds up to 45 with incentives if they're met. Calvin Phillips to Manchester City, the defensive midfielder. I think City now have two of the best defensive midfielders in the league. I mean, obviously Calvin Phillips is not coming in to start with Rodri being the best defensive midfielder in the league, if not the world last season, but having this ability to rotate now, obviously you had to replace Fernandinho. I just think this is a perfect signing for Manchester City. I don't think it's necessarily too expensive either. Calvin Phillips had two years left on his contract. So Leeds weren't necessarily, you know, eager to sell this summer. They would have been fine selling next. But uh, Leeds could have wanted more. And City said 40 to 45 million is exactly our range. And that's exactly how they got him. 
Yeah, I honestly think it's a really good price for City. I expected him to go for more than this, um, but I guess Leeds, I mean, next summer, if they, if they sold, it, it would be even less than this, I suppose. But I was really expecting Leeds to stand firm on like their 60 million evaluation, which is what was being reported. But apparently they were swayed enough uh, to let Phillips go for only 42 to 45, obviously. But, you know, he did only make 20 appearances last year. Um, as much as he is like a crucial player to Leeds, he just really didn't play that much last season. Um, and, and they definitely need a replacement like Mark Roca. I said it last week that cannot be their Calvin Phillips replacement or Jesse Marsh is going to find himself in some trouble. So it'll be interesting to see where they end up spending that money. And then, you know, Rafinha seems ever more likely to leave um, and, and they'll have to find a replacement for him as well, because I, I really don't think. Brendan Aronson can really be a a direct replacement for Rafinha, but you know, we'll talk about that in a little bit. That is one of our questions, but just on Phillips. Yeah, I agree. I think you could even play Phillips and Rodri as a two, and that would be, you know, as a double pivot and they would be extremely progressive with De Bruyne. Um, You know, I I don't expect Phillips to be starting most games, but that is another option that Pep now has. And, you know, the amount of tools in his toolbox now are, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I think you're right. It gives him that option to play that double pivot. I think what Calvin Phillips will need to adjust to is playing a little bit more forward. He plays a little bit yeah. deeper at Leeds United than Rodri does at Manchester City. They're both fine ball progressors. Rodri is really uh, fantastic at it. But Calvin Phillips playing a little bit more in that middle third than dropping deeper into his defensive third. Uh, and then it was basically a, a straight swap in and out. Uh, a little bit of a gained price for Manchester City, but it was Gabriel Jesus, the winger or striker, however you want to categorize him, out to Arsenal for 45 million pounds, up to 50 million with incentives. So a little bit on top, but basically the same price as Calvin Phillips. I think this is just fantastic for Arsenal and uh, Manchester City had to let him go. I don't think that anybody... Uh, misunderstood that he wants more playing time with Erling Holland coming in. Uh, it's going to be more and more difficult. So, I mean, a big signing for Arsenal, right? But where is he going to play? Because Saka is on that right side, on that right wing. And is Gabriel Jesus really the striker replacement that Arsenal need? Probably not, in my opinion. He hasn't been the most clinical player. Maybe if he gets more playing time, he can become that. But I don't know if Gabriel Jesus is exactly the striker replacement that Arsenal need. So I'm just curious where he fits in. I think he's a fantastic player and a fantastic signing, but how exactly will he fit is my question. I mean, I, I think that's what he was signed to to be, though. I, I really do think that Arteta is signing him as a striker. They do, they don't need wingers, point, point blank and simple at the moment. Um, but I guess Arteta must be confident in the fact that he can get the best out of Jesus at striker. And, and am I you know, fully optimistic that he will not as much. Cause I agree with you. I, I think it's kind of hard to categorize him as an out and out number nine. I just don't really think he is, but you know, I, I kind of trust Arteta having had history with this player that, you know, he must think he can. So we'll see. It, it's going to be a big part of whether Arsenal get into the top four or not, because I think, you know, honestly, they're going to be hard pressed with the way that Spurs are looking at the moment. Um, but yeah, overall, I think in terms of the finances, it's a good deal for both clubs. Um, you know, it, it's a pretty reasonable fee. City get a good amount of money, which they basically, you know, flip right into Calvin Phillips. And that's a good exchange for what their squad needs. Meanwhile, Arsenal, you know, need a, a striker, need an attacking player. And if Jesus can find his form at the number nine, then it's a really good signing for them as well. 
Absolutely. As you say, getting a player of uh, in a position of need for Manchester City and letting go of one that they have a ton of uh, players in. Um, uh, Arsenal doing basically the opposite. They need somebody in that front three, and uh, that's what they got. And then the other big, big news was out of Chelsea, Romelu Lukaku, after coming for a record $100 million fee in uh, last summer and had you know an underwhelming performance in the Premier League this season, to say the least, he's now going back to Inter uh, for an €8 million Euro loan fee, f- up to €4 millions in add-ons, potentially. He's taking a salary reduction of... Uh, from 12 million euros to 8 million euros net. There is no buy or option or obligation in this uh, deal, but Romelu Lukaku leaving Chelsea back to Inter Milan. I mean, this is just mind boggling, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, me predicting him to win the golden boot before last year goes down as one of my worst takes of all time. But you know what, Justin, I, I can make a controversial take right now, which is that Romelu Lukaku's career peaked at Everton. It did. You know, obviously won Serie A with Inter Milan, but he scored 25 Premier League goals at Everton. That is extremely impressive. He became the club's number one goal scorer in the Premier League era, right? A club that's been in every single season of the Premier League. Like, he did a lot of amazing things at Everton. And although, yes, he was very good for Inter, I think that was the peak of his career. And honestly, I don't know if he'll ever reach those heights again. I mean, scoring 25 goals in the best league in the world for a team, you know, barely in the European spots that finished seventh. So yeah, maybe he'll go banging some goals for Inter, but they're one of the best teams in the league. It's not that hard to do, right? So, you know, I, I don't know. This is, yeah, it, it goes down as a huge bust for Chelsea Inter are absolutely laughing at the moment because they just sold him for a hundred mil, get him back for like eight on, on the loan fee. And we'll see if they end up making it permanent, but there's no way it's going to be for what they sold him for. And, you know, now they can go and try to take that title back from their cross stadium rivals. Um, you know, obviously AC Milan pivoting it to them on, on the final day. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a crazy, crazy move. I will have to disagree with you scoring 24 goals with 11 assists and leading Inter to Serie A is better than scoring a lot of goals at Everton and not winning anything. Um, but I, he was great for Everton. I don't want to deny that. Peak, peak of his ability is what I'll say. Peak of his ability. I don't think he's been as good since then. All right. Fair enough. But there was more news coming out of Chelsea. Uh, you know, obviously the new owners and there's been a lot of regime change. Uh, Petr Cech also left this week, but the big focus is Maria Grenovskaya, uh, basically the head of their transfers and has been ever since Abramovich was appointed or, or bought the club, uh, she was appointed. And I mean, she has done an incredible job in scouting and pulling in players and, uh, you know, making big deals for Chelsea. And they're now losing her. I mean, to me, this is a major, major loss in the transfer business of Chelsea. Yeah. You know, I said silly season at the top of the episode, and it is kind of silly season at Chelsea because they lose a integral part of their transfer operations, if you will. And then Todd Bowley's talking to George Mendez about getting Ronaldo. Like what is going on? And then (laughs) they loan Lukaku back to Inter. I I don't know what's going on at Chelsea. And, you know, um, we'll talk about it a little bit during the questions, but with Arsenal getting into the top four, um, you know, Arsenal fans asking, you know, can we do it with the Jesus signing with the Fabio Vieira signing? I think the only way they do is if Chelsea drop out and, 
unless they do a lot of big deals really quick, you know, they might be in trouble. Definitely. Definitely. And we will get into that with some of these questions, Garrett. Are you ready to move into, we have a lot of questions. Uh, yeah. This, I'm excited. Let's move, let's move into it. And I think we can start with something that's somewhat transfer related, at least uh, it is from Zilla. We've got a ton of questions from uh, Zilla as we always do. Uh, but the first one is about Raheem Sterling and his links to Chelsea. It has been reported recently that he is very close city are willing to let him leave Chelsea are very keen on bringing him in and Raheem Sterling is keen on Chelsea as well personal terms have not been agreed nothing's been agreed but it could move very very quickly so the question is we've seen forward struggle in Tuchel's system how will Raheem Sterling do at Chelsea honestly I think he'll be all right um Obviously, Tuchel's position has those weird kind of inside forward positions, but Raheem Sterling in the half space, like between the fullback and the center back, I think he could do a lot of damage there. Um, it's a place that other wingers have struggled. You know, Ziyech, I'd say most notably because, you know, I, I think Pulisic hasn't been given enough credit for how well he's been able to adapt to all the random positions he's been thrown into. But I think Sterling could do well in, in, in that formation. And obviously it could bust as well. It's kind of a high risk, high reward as far as I'm concerned. But the dude has an eye for goal, you know, despite some high profile misses, but Justin, I won't make you relive that trauma. So overall, I see why Chelsea want to go for him. They definitely need attacking reinforcements, but I also think it also depends on who they can bring in to play alongside him because they need a striker. Um, they, they really do. I don't think Sterling with Havertz at the nine next to him. I don't think that would work that well. So um, it could, could work out quite well, but you know, there's a lot of factors permitting. Yeah, Garrett, I think it's a great point that you bring up with wingers uh, in his system, not necessarily performing fantastic because it's, he doesn't have wingers in his system. He ha plays, you know, that three, four, two, one, or however you want to describe it with those uh, two tens or two attacking midfielders behind the lone striker. Uh, and so if you're putting wingers in there constantly, I agree with what you're saying that Pulisic has done better than a lot of people say he has, but I don't think that... Uh, Raheem Sterling is going to thrive in, in that situation. So my question becomes, does Tuchel change his system? He has a ton of wingers. His back line is completely going to be redesigned this season. Can you just switch to a 4-3-3 or something that fits wingers better yeah. than uh, the system that you seem so intent on staying with? Uh, I don't love the system for the league, and we will get into that later. But uh, I think that it's time to change system for Chelsea, especially with the amount of uh, transfers that they're going to need to bring in. Yeah. And also I think if they play like a four, two, three, one and Mason Mount at the 10, that would be much better for him as well than having to play that weird inside forward attacking mid, whatever the double tens, I think as a lone 10, he would be fantastic as he was under Lampard. And then with that, Justin, we can move on to another question from Zilla, this time asking about a player that I mentioned earlier, Brendan Aronson. And he asks how he will do in the Premier League with Leeds. Fantastically. He will adapt very, very well. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people close to him about his development at the Philadelphia Union Academy. He has had no problem stepping into the Philadelphia Union first team. Then he was transferred immediately to Salzburg, basically 
settled in perfectly uh, played fantastic for a couple seasons and then was moved to Leeds. I believe he will, you know, hit the ground running at Leeds as he has at every single club. He doesn't have issues adapting. And not only that, but obviously his former manager in Jesse Marsh, who he was with at Red Bull Leipzig uh, or sorry, Red Bull Salzburg uh, can uh, help him in that transition. I think that he already knows the system and the way that, Brendan uh, that, that Jesse Marks likes to play and Jesse Marsh knows how Brandon likes to play. So it, it's, it's just going to work out very, very well and quickly in my opinion. Also. I love the optimism and you definitely have good reason for it. I think it might take him a little bit just because, you know, cause it's still a very young guy and this is the top league in the world. So um, I, I think, you know, a couple months, maybe a little bit of an adjustment period, but yeah, I don't think it will take too long. And I bet by, you know, mid season when leads really need him to be performing, he will be. Yeah. I just mean, it's not going to take a season. Like you see, no, no, uh, like, no, like, no. like we talk about with Grealish and things like the wingers right. and system, things like this. It, a lot of players do take time to adapt. I think he will be a lot faster than most. And then Garrett, uh, we have, one from RJ, which is the type of question that we would expect to get more. We get a lot of these long-winded questions I personally love, but a lot of the type of questions on Twitter are very simple like this. All time, who do you take? Harry Kane or Michael Owen? Man, I mean, Michael Owen, Ballon d'Or winner, right? But I don't know, man. I, I, I'm leaning Harry Kane and probably recency bias. You know, I didn't get to see Michael Owen play much before uh, the end of his career because it kind of coincided with that when I started watching football. Obviously, a fantastic player, but if we're talking about overall ability and, and the fact that Kane went from being just a goal scorer to then being one of the best playmakers in the world too, you know, I, I, I don't think I can hold Kane playing for Spurs really against him, so I'm going for Harry Kane. I would have to agree with you for, for similar reasons. Um, some questions about uh, Liverpool. With, with Liverpool bringing in Carvalho, Calvin Ramsey, and Darwin Nunez, is this enough to possibly get Liverpool back in the UCL final next year to try and redeem themselves after Paris? Or is this still a missing piece that they need for their number seventh UCL title that comes from Jello? I will have more questions from him too, I believe. Um, I think the missing piece is time because with Mane leaving you know, that replacement, whether it be Luis Diaz, you know, which is probably what you'd expect. And then Darwin Nunez adapting, you know, I still think Liverpool will be very good. Right. Um, but, but I don't know if they'll get back to the final, you know, the first year after Mane leaves, I think it will take time for the new players to kind of come into their own. And then I have no doubt that they'll end up being dominant once again, but this year I feel like they, they might just fall short. Yeah. I don't see how they've improved from last season. Uh, I, those signings, but losing Mane, I think that's you're downgrading there overall, in my opinion. And obviously, we know that the only reason Liverpool got to the final even this year was they had the easiest run that's probably ever been right. had to the final. Yeah. Uh, and then you add Erling Holland to Manchester City and make them even more likely forced to get to the final. It's just very difficult for Liverpool. So I would say no as well. And then, Justin, we have a question from Patrick who asks, will any newly promoted teams finish in the top half this season? Referring to the Premier League, of course. I think we both agree. Short answer, no. No. Uh, yeah, it's just not going to happen. None of those teams are good enough. Jello asked a similar question saying, is there any small team in the top five leagues that you think has a chance of being a dark horse this season? Depends on what you mean as a dark horse, obviously, to win the league or anything like that. 
I can't find any, but uh, to overperform, there will always be some. And, you know, I think that, right. you know, okay, there you go. I, I feel like that's a reasonable shout, right? Great manager. I don't see why yeah, not. Yeah. I mean, losing they lose Basuma is, is a, it might, yeah, that's true. And, and, as well, it might be tough, but yeah, they lost Basuma, but, but I, I rate Enoch Mwepu. Uh, I think he's really good as well. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. And then a little bit of World Cup talk uh, way early, but let's do it again from Jello. Will France continue the World Cup champions curse the year after their poor start in the Nations League, or will they break the curse and truly defend their title? No, I think they're going to continue the curse. I mean, it's so hard to, you know, defend your, your title and they have been underperforming not only in the nation's league, but also, you know, the way they went out in the euros was spectacular. Um, and so as much as on paper, they still look like the best team in the world. I just have a feeling they will not be the ones lifting that trophy come December. Have to agree with you. Uh, it's hard to predict anyone. Obviously I, they're the best on paper, as you say, but I can't say that they're going to win it again. My favorite is going to have to be, Messi's Argentina. That's now. that's what I was about to say. That. That's what my heart's saying, and yeah. I, I still feel like that's a rogue shout a bit. But, but man, would also, I love to see that happen? Yeah, there's also other teams uh, like Germany who are going to come back and be a powerhouse again. And yeah, England are, have to put up a bigger fight. There's going to be other teams. Brazil. There's no way that they're going to allow to just be this secondary force continually. So uh, there's there's other teams that are going to compete with them. Uh, but with that idea of predictions we got a few questions from zilla from chris uh multiple people asking us to predict the premier league top four for next season obviously way too early justin but i'm going city one liverpool two spurs three chelsea four wow i I agree with you it's way too early the reason i say it's way too early for me is because we've seen a lot of you know transfers for some teams but for man united They've lost a lot of players without bringing any in, really. Chelsea, they've lost a lot of players, haven't brought any in, really, except we think Sterling is going to come in, right? So for me, I mean, Chelsea don't even have a back line right now. How am I supposed to tell you where they're going to finish in the I still have more faith in them than United, man. It's United. It's not about United. One City, two Liverpool, three Spurs, four Arsenal. Woo! I like it. I mean, if it's not Chelsea, it'll probably be our, I mean, it's going to be really interesting because I, would I be that surprised if, if United had a really good year under 10 hog? I mean, they finished second under Ole, obviously Liverpool were not as good as they are now, but like, I, I don't know, man, it, it's tough, but I still have faith that Chelsea with the new money and, and whatnot, like they're just not going to finish outside the top four. They well, just think, I don't know whether they're going to bring in. So right now I can't say that they're going to finish. With the but top it's four Chelsea. It's I, Chelsea. I believe it's a new owner. We don't know exactly what he's going to do. I think he's going to spend for sure. And they're going to, they're obviously going to bring in players. Uh, but who, but who is the question? We've heard a, a, a rumor, Matthias Delict for Timo Werner swap with, with a 20 million or so on top of that. That would be really good if they can find the money for Jules Kunde and convince him to come in. It would be incredible. These type of things would be great, but, They haven't been done yet. So right now, not in my top four. But on the topic of Arsenal versus Chelsea, uh, Zilla asked the question, we have been debating this for a while now. Who is the better Premier League manager, Thomas Tuchel or Mikel Arteta? 
just quickly before I answer this, Justin, on Chelsea um, versus Arsenal, rather on Arsenal, I think I would put them in my top four predictions as of now over Chelsea if they sign Tielemans because they need someone to sit next to Partey. I don't think Jacques is good enough. So just wanted to say that. But referring to Zillow's question here, man, who's the better Premier League manager? <sighs> See, it's tough because like right now I would say Arteta, but Arteta did lead Arsenal to like their worst league finishes in forever. So I'm not, it's so close. It's a really good question, but if I had to pick one, I'd go Tuchel. I'd go Tuchel because he took Chelsea from ninth to to fourth and won the champions. Obviously not, not the Premier League, but just overall what he did coming in in the middle of the year is just too impressive. I agree that what you're saying, him taking uh, Chelsea from ninth or 10th or whatever they were all the way into fourth uh, in that season when he took over halfway through is fantastic job. Uh, what he did in the Champions League doesn't really come into my thought process when I'm looking at him as a Premier it's hard League not manager. To, though. It's hard, it, it's hard. But he's to me, he is a fantastic coach. Uh, tournament manager he's a fantastic cup manager he knows how to win these games because his style fits it it's a defensive style he sits back hits on the counter and then he can win one nil in these games and when he gets a goal all he can do has to do is sit back and defend uh, and and it works out well in these cups in the league that doesn't really work out for 38 game season uh as he has sh- showed this season i mean he brought in romelu lukaku uh record signing and it didn't work out. He underperformed. Everyone prior to the season expected Chelsea to finish third. They finished fourth. Or, or no, everyone expected Chelsea to finish second, even ahead of Liverpool, and they finished or third. first or, or first. first. You predicted them first. Yeah, I did. So people thought, okay, they're competing for the title with the City and Liverpool. You know, after they had a down year without Van Dyke, everyone thought, okay, Chelsea are better than them. No, Chelsea underperformed. Everyone thought first or second, they came in third. Everyone thought for Arsenal, uh, probably sixth or seventh or eighth even. And they came in fifth. And they almost got Champions League. So to me, that is Tuchel underperforming in the Premier League. Arteta overperforming in the Premier League. That means it's Arteta one is a better season. manager. It's one season. He took Arsenal to, to back-to-back eighth-place finishes. This is a club that had been in the Champions League for like 15 to 20 straight years. And, you know, obviously there was a drop off when Wenger left, but I mean, come on, Chelsea is not that much bigger or more successful of a club than Arsenal. They're really not. And, no, and so squad, I, I just think you have recency bias. Two, no, the squad that these two were given is much different. Arteta is building a young project and he has done that. So when he was finishing eighth, yeah, but he was doing it with absolutely nobody. He had basically the youngest squad in the premier league. Uh, and so he's now building youth and he still has one of the youngest squads in the premier league, but he's still competing for top four. Meanwhile, Thomas Tuchel has on paper as good of a team as Liverpool, if not better. And he's underperforming. It's simple as that. Uh, he does not have as good a team as Liverpool on paper. And also Arteta is probably going to end up having spent the most in the entire league, two transfer windows in a row. So yeah, I'd expect them to be challenging for the top four. I, I don't know if it's, is that really it, overperforming when you spend 150 mil in the window? If you predicted Chelsea to finish first and they finished third, that's an underperformance. If you predicted Arsenal to finish seventh or eighth and they finish fifth, that's overperformance. It's that simple for me. 
I'm pretty sure I had them sixth, but still overperformed. All right. I, I just think it's recency bias. It's one season. That's all I'll say. I think you're completely forgetting about the year before and what Arteta failed to do and how he had pretty much the worst Arsenal team we've ever seen, especially in the first half of that 2019-20 season when they were literally getting smacked at home by Southampton and stuff. So uh, it's close for sure. And I see the validity behind your argument. I personally would still say Tuchel, but I think this season could 100% uh, flip. I mean, even the first half of the season could flip my opinion on that for sure. It's a good question. And then Justin, another question from Zilla. He says, this is more for Justin, but Garrett can of course answer to that is because this is a city question. He says with Sterling and Jesus leaving this upcoming season could be huge for Cole Palmer. Of course, the Academy product, is he ready for a new role? And what are your expectations for him this upcoming season? To answer the first part, yes, he is ready for a new role. He will get a lot more minutes on that right wing. Uh, part of the reason Jesus and very likely Sterling are going to leave. I obviously I think Sterling is a, just a massive loss. I don't think that that is beneficial for Sterling or the club, honestly. But as far as Cole Palmer is concerned, it's definitely beneficial because he'll get more minutes on that right hand side. Uh, and I think that my expectations for him are just to settle in. I think that. You know, I don't expect a ton of necessarily goal production out of him, but I think that looking at his underlying numbers of how he's fitting into the system and his creation and things like that, similarly to how I look to Jack Grealish this season, his goal production wasn't necessarily incredible, but his underlying numbers are very good telling me he's fitting into the system well and that the, those goal production will come probably this season. And so for Cole Palmer, who should have been introduced into the city team last season, but of course had injury and so wasn't really uh, able to do that very much, he's, he's fully ready. Uh, and I think that it's... It's going to be a big uh, season for him, breakout season, to notice his ability. But again, not necessarily to expect too many goal contributions or, or big moments from him. Yeah, and I'll just quickly chime in. Definitely expect him to be kind of the deputy to Mares, who we know is you know a, a premier level winger on, on that right side. And then with Sterling leaving, you know, Grealish, I definitely think will be a, a much more important player for city this year. Um, you know, obviously him and Foden will, will likely be sp splitting minutes on the left-hand side, but with Sterling out of that equation, cause you know, we've seen Pep use him on both sides. I think Grealish and Palmer will, will both have more important roles this season. Um, uh, just quick question for you, Justin, do you think city will bring in another winger or Look, I think that you probably should if you're losing Raheem Sterling because I think Raheem and Sterling Jesus and right, Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus, I understand you're leaving, and plus you've already replaced him with Holland. Essentially, Still like, you know, yeah, but I'm not worried about that that one so much. I think that Raheem Sterling is number one, a better player, but also I think that he, as I've said previously on this podcast, he thrives with a striker. He thrives in a true winger position where he has a striker to play off, and that's what Holland will bring him. Whereas Chelsea, if Tuchel doesn't change his system, as I was advocating for earlier, it's not going to work out very well for Sterling. I think everything is still better at City. It's just that Pep couldn't ensure him the playing time that Tuchel can. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, bringing in a, a winger would be fantastic for Manchester City. The question becomes, who would that be? Because the only player that is really an improvement uh, on Raheem Sterling, who I can think of off the top of my head, even in the world, who, by the way, Manchester City has been linked to, but I mean, rumors is rumors to me, Neymar, but that's not going to happen. 
Yeah. And then just a few more questions, Justin, moving to the MLS. Jello asks, with Brooke, with Brooks Lennon out, also injured for Atlanta United, are their playoff chances fading away even more now? And my answer would be definitely yes. Um, if you remember, I predicted them to make a dark horse run and win MLS Cup, but that all changed when Miles Robinson got hurt, didn't it? I think that just completely flipped their season on its head. And, you know, it, it, it just looks like it's getting worse from here, not better. You're absolutely right. I mean, without uh, Miles Robinson, they've been pretty shaky at the back. Um, and now with Brooks Lennon out, it's just become injury FC at Atlanta. And I feel really bad for all the Atlanta fans because there's just nothing you can do about injuries. Look, part of it's probably because they play on a turf pitch. I don't know why yep. they're doing that. Yep. Look, it's a fantastic stadium, but stop playing on turf. It's your own fault for that reason. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just unfortunate. I don't think that, uh, you know, Almada, Arujo and, and Martinez would be enough to carry Atlanta to the playoffs, especially, you know, in, in the playoff in the spot that they're sitting in right now, all the way in 10th. But, you know, there's a long season to go. You never know. Joseph Martinez is one of the best strikers we've seen this in this league in a long time. So could if he ever. carry them? Yeah, if ever could could he they carry could he carry them back to a playoff spot? Yes. Do I think it's going to be difficult with Toronto and Columbus also trying to make that run? Very very difficult. And then final question, Justin, coming from our good friend and former guest, of course, JP Marquez. He asked, "When is the right time for MLS to modify or eliminate the salary cap?" And you know, being an LAFC fan himself, I'm sure that has. Uh, that question has come up as a result of signings such as Bill and Chiellini. Absolutely. If I'm honest, this is my favorite question because it's, it's one that really needs to be thought about. Um, look, in my opinion, MLS will never remove the salary yeah. cap completely because this is what MLS is based around. It's an American uh, idea in, in the league structure in that they want everybody to be able to compete every season. They don't want the Premier League or any other t- European league that you can really look at where there's a couple teams competing for the title. Yeah. They, don't, that's, they want parity, and that's why it'll never be eliminated. However, to modify it, absolutely. It, it, uh, we know that the salary cap is going to increase next year and the year after slightly, um, but it, the answer is you just have to do it slowly. And MLS knows this based on their structure, because if you raise it up too quickly, player teams like the Seattle Sounders or LAFC or Toronto or LA Galaxy, these are teams that will just splash cash immediately and will be well superior to the other teams around them. Um, so, so, yeah, I just think that... It, it's going to have to be slowly. Although I understand, uh, I wish that we could do it more quickly because the faster we do it, the higher we get it, the bigger quality players that we can get. But also as John Thorrington has shown us, you can bring in incredibly quality players under the MLS structure through TAM contracts. Which is why I agree with you. Um, and, and honestly, I don't, I don't really want them to eliminate the salary cap because I think it's what makes MLS unique. And as much as there are a lot of problems with it, and I definitely think it needs to be modified and changed. The fact of the matter is that for someone like myself, an Everton fan, the prem get, gets quite boring sometimes because it's the same thing over and over pretty much, except for your, you know, occasional West Ham getting fifth or, you know, obviously Leicester winning the title is something we'll never see again. Like that's just an anomaly. Whereas in MLS, like who knows what's going to happen. That's what makes it so entertaining is that there's so many teams 
anybody can do whatever, whatever year. And overall, you know, it's, it's just chaotic and, and that's what makes it so fun. So um, I, I agree with you. I think they'll modify it relatively slowly as things change and, you know, the market changes with the Apple TV deal and whatnot. But um, yeah, overall, I don't think they will. And, and I'm not that upset about it, if I'm honest. And lastly, Justin, our weekly segment, Moment of the Week, what was yours? You know, I, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but my Moment of the Week has to be Kylian Mbappe at the Bank of California Stadium taking in LAFC versus New York Red Bulls. The fact that he is have on vacation in the very few uh, t- months he has off, basically like you know a month or two that he has off in his entire year, and what does he do? He decides to spend it watching another football game, but not just any football game, an MLS game. The eyes of the world are not only on LAFC, but on MLS now. Uh, and it's just going to help us, especially with the new Apple TV deal, to hopefully become more of a worldwide league. And that is the goal. But bringing the most expensive player in the world to the Bank of California Stadium is step number one. Mine, Justin, a little bit more lighthearted. Uh, it's about a, a pitch invader at the Venezuela v. Chile women's friendly game a few days ago, except that this pitch invader was not human. There was a big fluffy dog which ran on the pitch and was running around to different players trying to get attention and pets, and it was quite the sight to see. And uh, Venezuela ended up winning 1-0, but that dog was definitely the star of the show. And with that, Garrett, I think we can bring the episode to a close. We appreciate all your listener questions, uh, and we invite you to listen or to watch our game of the week. Next week, it will be the U.S. Open Cup match between Orlando City uh, and Nashville uh, at Exploria Stadium in Orlando. Uh, It is on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, so tune in and we will talk about it next episode. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at U90Football. It's where we get all of our questions. You can uh, throw in questions for us next time. And uh, follow us on Instagram as well at U90FootballOfficial. Uh, but we will be back next week with a, a double game week in the MLS and a ton more to talk about. Hopefully the U.S. will have qualified uh, for the U20 World Cup by then. See you all next week.